Well, today we are concluding our series that we've called Truth and Love. Our goal in this series of messages in June and July is to more fully be people who hold fast to God's truth as given to us in Scripture and do that with love for all people. And I uh, want to tell you what's coming up in the, in the weeks to come. Next week, we're going to be- begin a very short series based on questions from our students. These are questions that uh, Pastor Brian Edmund shared with me that our students had been asking, so we're going to try to address some of those in the coming weeks. On August the 20th will be our Youth Sunday, and then September 10th, our International Mission Sunday, and following that, we'll begin the study Jonathan mentioned of the book, New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. But today, I'd like to talk about how God's love compels us to share the truth of the gospel with others. The Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, Jesus died for our salvation and we all stand in need of it. And so the love of Christ compels us to share this with people. Before we begin that message, I'd like to pray once more because we have got a group of our students, middle school students and adult and youth leaders leaving tomorrow for camp. I'd like to also pray for a member of our staff, Micah Senga, who has departed for three weeks in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where Micah is helping teach uh, the use of video and storytelling there. And uh, so before we get into God's word, would you join me once again as we pray? Fathers, we're gathered in the wonderful name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you for your presence. And as your church, we want to pray your blessing on our middle school students as they travel to camp tomorrow. We pray you'd make this a most blessed week for their spiritual growth, that you'd pour out your spirit upon them, that you would bless them and keep them, protect them. And Lord, may they come back renewed and strengthened in the faith. We pray for Micah as he's uh, in Africa today that you would bless, empower, strengthen, equip, and use him for your glory. And now as we open your word, Lord, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. The love of God compels us to be people who share the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus with others. This is consistent with who we are as a church, as expressed in what we call our Vision 2025. A couple sentences from that vision read this way. Those who call River Oaks their church home recognize that biblical knowledge should overflow into concern for the spiritual well-being of others. And that following Jesus leads to an outreach-focused life. River Oaks members embrace their calling as Jesus' disciples to live as ministers and missionaries in our community. Have you ever thought of yourself as a a minister or a missionary beyond the walls of the church? From time to time, I think it's helpful to ask ourselves, are, are we doing this? Are we sharing the gospel with people outside the walls of the church? Are we living as missionaries beyond the walls of the church? Now, someone may ask, well, 
do we really even need missionaries in the United States of America? I mean, aren't missionaries for the the unreached parts of the world, the nations that don't have access to the gospel, and certainly they are greatly needed there. But I think we need people, lots of people, who are equipped and empowered to share the gospel here in our own country, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and in our schools. On the screen, you'll see the results of a recent Gallup survey. The title of this study was headed, Belief in Five Spiritual Entities Edges Down to New Lows. And in May of this year, the Gallup organization polled Americans as to whether they believed in five spiritual entities, God, angels, heaven, hell, the devil. And you see the results on the screen. Three out of four people roughly believe in God and about seven out of ten in angels and heaven. Fewer believe in hell and the devil. What's interesting is the rapid decline in belief in these spiritual entities. For example, um, since 2001, belief in God and heaven are down 16 points, a pretty significant drop. Now, if you put all five of these spiritual entities, God, angels, heaven, and hell, the devil together, only 51% of Americans today would say they believe in all five of these. Now, someone may think, well, 51%, uh, that's, that's half. Does that mean those 51% who believe in God, angels, heaven, hell, the devil, that they're Christians? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You read through the New Testament, you'll see Jesus often engaged in conversation and often at odds with the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in all five of these things. The largest world religion after Christianity is Islam. Muslims believe in these five things. Moreover, here in the United States, Many, and I would even say perhaps most Americans, have what we might call a nominal Christian faith. That is, some degree of intellectual belief in the existence of God, and yes, even heaven and hell, perhaps even the devil and angels, but no heart commitment. In fact, It very well may be that the largest single religious category in America is that of nominal Christians, people who would check the box Christian when asked about their faith, but do not have a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an extremely dangerous place to be. I know many people like that, and I expect you do too. I say it's dangerous because of this. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, on that day, referring to the day of judgment, when he is returned, he says, many will come to me and say, Lord, didn't we do this for you? Didn't we do that for you? And I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are frightening, sobering concerning words, and they lead us to to take to heart what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, examine yourselves to be sure you're truly in the faith. Very easy in this country to have an intellectual belief in God and his existence, 
even to pray at certain times and to go to church without ever embracing Jesus as one's personal Savior and Lord. And so it's important that we tell people about that great need and that great opportunity that lies before us. Now, in the passage that Jonathan read for us a few minutes ago, Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul had been expressing his great desire for the Israelites to truly know God's salvation. And he begins the chapter with these words, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They've even got a zeal for God. They believe in the five spiritual entities there, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He goes on in this great chapter of Romans chapter 10 to make three significant points, points that I think are particularly significant for our conversation today. The first is this. Salvation is received by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This familiar verse reads, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like if you just say you believe something, you'll be saved. But as always, we must understand Scripture in its context. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the Romans, he was writing to people for whom a public confession of Jesus as Lord could be very dangerous and very, very costly. To confess Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord could be very costly indeed. In biblical understanding, to truly confess Jesus is Lord implies that he's in the driver's seat. It's more than just an empty intellectual knowledge that Jesus exists. These are not empty words without heart devotion to Jesus. Salvation is received by believing, embracing the gospel of Jesus. Secondly, the gospel must be heard to be believed. Paul goes on to write, the words you'll see in Romans 10 and verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice some form of the word here five times in those two verses. People need to hear the message of the gospel. It's a message that calls for a response, and that response is to repent and believe and receive or to reject the message. I've observed something over the years. That is that some people hear the gospel over and over and over in sermons like today. Hear the message of the gospel, but until they're confronted one-on-one, somebody, one-on-one conversation with a Christian who's inquiring about their spiritual life, sharing the gospel, until they're confronted one-on-one, they seem very content to go on in a kind of spiritual complacency without yielding their lives to the Lord. Seen this a lot. 
it points to the need for personal sharing of the gospel. There are many people around you with whom you can share the gospel far more effectively than, than I can. People you work with, your friends, your family. Thirdly, God sends his people to preach or to proclaim the gospel. Paul writes, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful the feet of those who preach the good news or the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. It's interesting, isn't it, that God has chosen not to use angels to spread the gospel. In fact, in the, in the book of Acts, we see uh, occasionally an angel giving guidance to someone to go somewhere to preach the gospel. The angel doesn't preach it, but the angel alerts a, a person to go and preach the gospel. God has given this great privilege of sharing this message whereby people can escape eternal judgment and get eternal life to us. Weak, fallible, sometimes timid, fearful human beings. He's given us that responsibility. He's given us that privilege. But he's also given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. So we see in Romans 10, salvation is received by believing the gospel of Jesus. The gospel must be heard to be believed, and God sends his people to share it, to proclaim it, to share that message of the gospel. Now, why is it so important that we do that? Why is it so important? <clears throat> in, the, in the gospel of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples. This is his uh, inner circle. These are those who had uh, followed him, were listening to him. We read these words in Matthew 24 and verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, say, privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what follows in two very long chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, is Jesus' response to this question. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in answering this, responding to this question of his disciples, Jesus gives a number of parable-like teachings. And I think they help us address the question, why is it so important that we share the gospel with others? Number one, because of the mandate of Jesus. Right in the midst of this long teaching, Jesus says this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world for a witness to all nations or a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Some people seem to be consumed with signs of the end times, talking about it, studying it, researching it, you know, thinking uh, the end will come this year, that year, even setting dates. Jesus gave us one very clear evidence that the end of time, that his return would be near, and that is this. The gospel will have been proclaimed in all the nations of the world. And we still have a long way to go with that. Why is it so important we share the gospel with others? Because of the mandate of Jesus. Secondly, because of the reality of eternal judgment. Now keep in mind something. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, 
Jesus is gathered with his disciples. They said, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he gives several parable-type teachings. Throughout these teachings, there's a master who returns to get an accounting of his servants. There's something that happens, but in these parables and in these teachings, there, there comes to light the reality of a final judgment. In Matthew 24 and verse 50, we read, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25 and verse 30, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25 and verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In 25 and 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is talking about something that we don't like to talk about, at least I don't, and that is hell, eternal judgment. Why is he talking about it to his disciples, though? They're not going there, with the exception of Judas Iscariot. They're the ones to whom Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll take you to come and be with me. If we read the New Testament, there are a number of references to hell. And it seems to me that most often when hell is addressed in the New Testament, it's not being addressed to unbelievers. It's being addressed to believers. Why? It's not because believers are going there. We're not. Paul said, God has not appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we must understand that those without Jesus Christ face a terrible future. And there is an urgency for us to share the gospel with them. Jesus is creating urgency before he goes to the cross and leaves. Urgency with his followers to take his message of the gospel near and far to all the nations of the world. Thirdly, why is it so important we share the gospel with others? Because of the urgency of the time. The disciples wanted to know when. When are you going to come back? Tell us the signs. When's it going to happen? He spoke about the task, the need to do the work, the need to be spiritually prepared, the need to be ready, the urgency of doing what he called them to do. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is why the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constrains us. This is why he said, my heart's desire, my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. Love compels us to share the gospel with others. We don't go and share the gospel to build up our church, to get a notch on our Bibles. We share the gospel with people because we love them and we care about them. And we know that the only way to stand before our infinitely holy God 
is to be clothed in the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. None of us can stand before him with our own sin, but when we put our faith in Jesus, our sin is removed, his righteousness is credited to us. Well, it raises the question then, how do we do that? How can you and I be people who go into our workplaces, schools, neighborhoods, families, and share the gospel of Jesus with others? How do we do that? But first of all, by the way we live, we're called to live as lights in the world. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In other words, the light of your life, your personal example, is so significant that people can see a difference in you and it can point them toward God. The Apostle Paul was even more specific in how this was to be done in Philippians chapter 2. He writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, don't be Christians in your workplace who are always grumbling, complaining, disputing. No. Live as light in the world. You're to be a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Hold fast to the word of truth. Be a witness in the world. If you're negative all the time, griping, complaining, backbiting, hard to get along with, it's probably just as well if you don't tell everybody you're a Christian. Be a light in the world. Let people see you're different. Secondly, how can I share the gospel with others? Learn, learn a gospel presentation. Very simple. Learn a gospel presentation. I think it was when I was in college and I wanted to begin to learn how to share the, the gospel with others. And I thought, well, the simplest way is just take a little gospel track, like the Four Spiritual Laws or one of these little booklets by Billy Graham, Steps to Peace with God, and just read it. And learn what they say. Learn these four points. There are a number of good ways to present the gospel. Uh, some people will, will use uh, five or six verses in the book of Romans called the Romans Road. Some of you may remember we put that on a bookmark when we studied Romans a few years ago. We even still have some at the Resource Center. One way I like to think of presenting the gospel is by four pillars or four key ideas, God's nature, our problem, God's solution, our response. You can remember those as kind of an acrostic with the first letter of each phrase, the G-O-G-O. Because God calls us to go with the gospel. God's nature, very simply, is the Bible says God is love. But I think people need to know more than that. The Bible also says God is holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, and verse 16, the scripture says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Our problem is that we are not. 
our problem is, as Romans 3 and verse 10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But God solved this problem in a most beautiful way by sending Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became a human being. And as Peter writes, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He took our place. He bore our judgment. He died and rose to bring us to God. But just knowing that's not enough, we must respond. And our response is simply to believe. Faith in the Bible implies more than just an intellectual belief. It implies repenting and receiving. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as we saw in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, meaning he's my Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is one gospel presentation. There are many you could use, but learn one. Learn one so you're comfortable. Those of you who are, who are parents, your, your child may come home from Sunday school one day and ask you, how can I know I'm going to go to heaven? You need to be able to share the gospel. And again, if you don't know, pick up one of these little tracks and learn the basic points. The next diagram you're going to see on the screen is, is a gospel presentation that is very <clears throat> popular right now. It's um, called the Three Circles presentation. And um, I got interested in this because I, I noticed, uh, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, our denomination, EPC, has been promoting it, but also my son and daughter-in-law were with us recently, and I heard my son um, making a video for somebody on how to share the gospel. And he, on the back of his phone, he had a little sticker with his diagram, the three circles. And I heard him walking through it, and I thought, well, that, that's pretty simple. I like it because it's visual. And sometimes when you're explaining something to someone, it's nice to be able to just sketch it out on a napkin or, or let them see something. And here's a way you might use this gospel presentation. It, it generally starts by asking somebody, can I pray for you about anything? How can I pray for you? And a person may share some, some need they have, <clears throat> and you pray for them. But that often up, opens up a door to present the gospel. So you might say something like this. You know, I haven't been through what you've been through, but I've, I've had similar things in life that, is called, that have caused me a lot of anxiety. Can I share something with you that really helped me a lot? May I share something with you that was really helpful to me? And then I'd, I'd simply write a circle on a napkin and write the words God's design. And I'd say, I believe God has designed for, for each of our lives a, a plan for us. And that plan is that we know him and we love him and we fulfill the work that he's called us to do. But the problem is we all tend to rebel against God to some degree. That's what the Bible calls sin. And you draw an arrow to the next circle where you write the word brokenness. This sin leads to brokenness in the world. We see it all around us. And we try to, 
to, to fill that place of brokenness in our lives with a variety of ways. That's what the little squiggly arrows are for. Maybe money, maybe relationships, maybe alcohol, maybe drugs, but nothing fixes this brokenness in the world or in our lives. We need help from somewhere else. And then we draw an arrow to the gospel. God provided that help for us when he sent Jesus, his only son. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He, God the Son, who knew no sin, he was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. Our part is simply to repent, to turn from our sin and to believe and receive the gospel. And we write those words out by that era between brokenness and gospel. Having embraced the salvation Jesus provides, we now recover and pursue God's design, the good works he's created us to do. As the Bible says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And then I might ask the person, if I was sharing this with someone, where do you see yourself in this little diagram? Does this make sense to you? So that's one way you could present uh, the gospel. Now, the next thing you're going to see on the screen is, is where you can get these little things free for your phone. If you're interested in learning a presentation like this, um, and you use apps on your phone, just go to the app store, the Three Circles app, it's also called Life on Mission, is free. You get it right on your, your phone. And another one, and this one I particularly like, is called God Tools. God Tools is an app from a Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. And it's got several gospel presentations, different tracks. What I love about the God Tools app, it's in Spanish as well as English. So it can help you learn Spanish a little better. If you're speaking with somebody who who's not uh, fluent in English, very, very helpful. These are a couple good free tools that you can use to help you learn to present the gospel with someone else. Finally, number three, how can I share <clears throat> the gospel with others? Pray that God will open doors of opportunity. The Apostle Paul himself says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I read that and I think, wow, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer for God to open the doors for him to share the gospel, how much more do I? How much more do we? We can't persuade people into God's salvation. It's not a matter of salesmanship. We can't persuade anybody to come to faith in Jesus. Only God can do that. Jesus said, Himself, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why prayer should always precede the sharing of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit will go before us, prepare hearts. You know, some of the people you know, you work with or live near in your family, who seem most resistant to the gospel, they may be the ones God will have you share with. I, I can't say I've had enough experience to say this is a pattern, but it seems to me that sometimes when per people have particular animosity toward the gospel, toward the faith, toward Jesus, they're fighting something inside. There's something going on in them. And they are ones that God may be calling you to reach. But pray for them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open 
the eyes of their hearts. Well, as we close, just two questions by way of personal in, in, um, application. Number one, am I trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ for my own salvation? Or do I just have a nominal faith? Would you be ready to stand before Jesus today and truly be able to say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're in the driver's seat. I'll follow you. I'll trust in what you've done for me and not my works. Secondly, who has God placed in my life who needs to hear the gospel? Why do you live in the neighborhood where you live? Why do you work where you do? Why are you at the school where you are? Why do you have the people in your class or on your team who are in your class or on your team? Why has God put me where he has? Why am I in the, the family network I'm in where I feel like I'm the only Christian? Why am I there for prayer, for sharing the gospel, for being God's ambassador, his messenger to take the gospel to others? Would you join me as we pray? Father, we think of what Jesus said. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. Would you please make us those laborers, Lord? Would you please pour out your spirit upon us? Would you equip us and would you empower us and would you guide us? And would you give us love for those who don't know you? So like your servant Paul, we could say, the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. Lead us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.